just look at James verse 4 verse 14 or chapter 4 verse 14 for what is your life and what I'm talking about is live the life you've always wanted you have to be able to assess where you need to go where you need to be and where you are in your life where are you and are you on track for where you want to be if not do you have a a program to help you get there what is your life is the question that James asked, a penetrating and thought-provoking question that all of us from time to time should stop and ponder. Uh, Jeremiah 24, verse 1 through 7, I read this last week. The Lord showed me, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem. And it brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. And then in beginning in verse number 6, one of the most profound of all promises that you will ever find anywhere in the entire canon of Holy Scripture. For I will set mine eyes on them for good. And I will bring them back to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will be to them, I will give them rather a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. What an incredible promise. In Third John, um, verses 1 or, or chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verses 2 through 4, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And then this very interesting observation, which indicates that the apostles who received their, their gospel and message directly from Jesus Christ believe that the gospel was not just good news relating to your soul, and your eternal destination, but it was good news to the life you lived here. He says, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Notice he says, This is the truth. As you walk in truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What truth is that? That you may prosper in all things and be in health as your soul prospers. The Bible's message is holistic. 1 Timothy 6 and 17, Paul also echoes this sentiment and this conviction when he says, trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Father, in the name of Jesus, anoint your word and let it in the profound manner that your word has impact our lives by causing those things that are not like you, those thoughts that are not consistent with yours to be replaced with those 
which are. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. What a year this is going to be. I feel it in my bones. I've been teaching about building your dream. It's God's intention, according to these verses by Paul and that John writes as well, both of them inspired by the Holy Spirit, to bless us in every aspect of our life. God wants to give us, Paul says, all things richly to have and to enjoy. All things, not just spiritual things. And John says one of the qualifying conditions of truth is that it also affects your life to the degree that it affects you spiritually. It will affect you in the physical dimension and you will prosper in all things. Now, that is quite a mouthful because somewhere along the way, it seems, and I don't even really know when it began, perhaps it was during the era of the Desert Fathers in early church history when they became, um, as it were, recluses, and uh, some of them even reached the point that they felt like any earthly possessions would corrupt your soul. Somewhere along the way, there has been ingrained into the church's philosophy and theology something that, in my opinion, violently contradicts what these verses have just said. That is, to be poor is to be more godly than it is to be blessed. God wants to bless his people, and these writers, both of them, prominent in the New Testament era, the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, our Apostle to the Gentiles, absolutely disagreed with that. LaJoy Matthews, one of our men, sent me this. I loved it after I preached last Sunday. It shows a door, and the door is open, and it states, I declare, Ephesians 3.20, over my life, God will do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think because I honor him, his blessings will chase me down and overtake me. I will be in the right place at the right time. People will go out of their way to be good to me. I am surrounded by God's favor. This year will be full of wisdom and favor. This is my year to build my dream. Amen. That's a declaration you ought to make every single day of your life. And what is unique about this is that, and, and important to consider about this, is that this that you see up there contradicts what some people's theology actually is. They believe that they're just struggling to get by and that everything that God does for us is supposed to be in the realm of the spirit and have to do with your soul. And because of that, Many people end up in the church chasing blessings, trying to get blessed, pursuing blessings uh, as though they're never going to catch them. The, the blessings are Olympic runners, and they're always ahead of us. We're never quite able to get up to where they are. We're a whole lot, in some ways, like uh, Boudreaux's friend Thibodeau if you don't mind me making reference to my heritage, 
And I have to say that because some folk don't know that I'm talking about my heritage. I'm not making fun of somebody else's. Boudreaux was driving to visit Thibodeau one day on his way to his house when he noticed that there was a three-legged chicken running alongside the road. And as he drove along, he noticed that the chicken was keeping up with him. And he was doing 50 miles an hour. When he got to Thibodeau's house, he asked Thibodeau if he had ever seen that chicken. And Thibodeau said, my, yes, yeah, that my chicken. You know how we like to barbecue them yard bird. If you're from Louisiana, you've heard that term many times. Especially, we like them drumsticks. So I've been studying genetics down at LSU. And I learned how to grow a three-legged chicken so we can have an extra drumstick to eat when we barbecue. And Boudreaux says, my, Shad, that's nice. He said, how do they taste? And Thibodeau said, we don't know. We ain't been able to catch one yet. <laughs> and that's how some folk are about blessings. They're chasing them. They just hadn't caught any. And blessings are supposed to be chasing us. All these blessings shall overtake you. That's what the scripture said. As last year ended and we approached the new year, we were into the fall of last year, we began our Build a Dream campaign. Having long ago maxed out this facility, we felt that it was God's season and time for us to build a facility to worship in that will exalt Christ and where we can continue his vision for this church, a place where our children can be raised and serve God and, and where they can bring their children and, and they can also have the benefit of raising their families in the godly environment of a church that is dedicated and devoted to serving the Lord. And in that campaign, we purposefully intentioned, we decided intentionally, we made up our minds that we would honor God and obey his word by doing the opposite of what many believers today are doing. In a day when only 5% of believers tithe, we determined to trust God and obey his instructions in his word regarding our stewardship and that we would not only live faithful lives, we would live faith-filled lives because the blessing is in being faith-filled. God honors faith. And uh, just to give you an update on that, we're working on a deal right now for one of those corners that may go through this very week that if it does, is going to put us where we need to launch that program. Amen. And God is so good. I hope to have a really good update for you next week or, in, or the next weekend after that. Just continue to pray and continue to give. And we have determined that we're not going to allow, like some believers have, the circumstances of these times to control our giving. Rather, we're going to allow our giving to be controlled by what God's instructions to us were. And because some allow circumstances to control their giving rather than God's word, what happens is their circumstances end up controlling them. And they don't get any better. And many believers in a position these days where they're not, their lives are not improving. Back to these blessings chasing them down. They're out chasing blessings like Thibodeau trying to catch that three-legged chicken. And they're not being very successful about it. That is because they've lost the element of divine favor 
in their lives that every one of us needs. That's what that open door said, that we would experience divine favor. And so this year, it just seems like resonating in my spirit and in this church and the hearts of our people is the word from God that because we decided to build his dream, he's now going to build ours. This is our year to build our dream. Amen. And what do I mean by that? I mean the dream of the lives we've always wanted to live. And this is a process. And so for the next several weeks, I want to talk to you about steps in this process. How do you build the dream of the life you've always wanted? And I can break it down into several different steps for you. You've got to see it, number one. You've got to say it, number two. You're going to have to pray it, number three. And number four, you will have to pay it. And number five, you're going to have to stay it. And number six, you're going to have to play it. I mean, play the hand that's dealt to you, not somebody else's. Too many people are complaining about the hand they have and want to play somebody else's hand. You don't get to do that in life. And finally, you need to sanctify it. While most of these things are self-explanatory, I will spend some time on them over the next couple of months. And, and I'm going to show you a way to build the dream of your life this year. And I want to point out something. As we talk today, I want to speak from the subject. The first step of this is to see it. See it. You've got to see your dream. You've got to see it manifest. If you'll go into that lobby, you'll see our dream, the dream of our new building. An artist has captured that, uh, incorporating the architectural drawings. And you can actually see what it's going to look like. In fact, they are so... Uh, developed in terms of the ability to help you see your dream that in the case of a building, an architect can actually design for you a video walkthrough. We could have done that if we had wanted to spend, the, I don't know, twenty or 30000 more dollars to get it done. But I think most of us know what we want to, to do or what we want to build and we can see it. It is important in your life that if you are going to ever manifest your dream, you're going to first have to see it here before it's ever manifested here. It's what the Bible calls vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And here's the problem, and as I looked at this, it occurred to me that nearly everybody, you know, has had at some point or other in their life a vision for where they would like to go. The simple truth of the matter is that that most of us encounter problems en route to that destination that would be the fulfillment of our vision for our lives. We encounter problems. Every one of us do. Not most of us. All of us do. And here is what happens. Most of us encounter that problem and that throws us. We stop. We put on the brakes. We back up. We are momentarily nonplussed and we come out of that without a sense of clear direction. And the reason is, and most of us haven't learned this, are you ready, is that more often than not, your dream comes disguised as a problem. More often than not, your dream will come disguised as a problem. And for that reason, it is important to know what problems really can end up being to us in our lives if we don't run from them and avoid them. So let's talk about the difference between a problem and a promise. 
because your dream is your promise and God's promise to you for your future. But if most people do not realize that a problem is actually their dream in disguise, then to them all they see is the problem and not the promise. And it is, it is why I think the Lord has led me, this is why the Lord has led me to this text in, in the book of Jeremiah. There's a similar text in Amos chapter 8 verses 1 through 2. Amos is shown by the Lord a vision of a basket of summer fruit and then God did exactly to Amos what he did to Jeremiah. He turned around after showing him a vision of this basket of summer fruit. He asked this question, Amos, what do you see? Precisely the same question that he asked Jeremiah in the text that we have read when he showed him two baskets of figs, one ripe, the other spoiled, overly ripe. What do you see? I pointed out last week, and I need to remind you this again, that God is the ultimate communicator. While most of us at times struggle to convey certain nuances of thought or ideas to people or, or things we want to try to express, uh, God never has that problem. Most of us fall into the trap of that, that old saying, I know you think you heard what you thought I said, but I'm not sure that what you heard was what I meant. You know, most of us in trying to communicate sometimes fail or struggle at, 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 at the best we struggle to try to clearly carry across in our communication what it is we want to say. And that is because, as I've pointed out before, our language is not perfect. I mean, well, you, you park in a driveway and drive on a parkway. Explain that to me. You know what I mean? Hot dogs are not you know, they don't, have, they don't have dogs in them at all, so far as I know. Or I'm not going to eat any. And a hamburger is not made of ham. There are all kind of contradictions in our language that we, we find ourselves struggling with. And this passage intrigues me because God, who has made us recognizing the inability of man to be able to fully understand concepts that are so high above him that they're higher than the heavens are from the earth. This God who is a master at communication after masterfully and skillfully designing a vision that he sets before Jeremiah and on another occasion as I said the prophet Amos asked them both what do you see? Because what you see is your perception and your perception, the question of perception is significant because perception is going to determine your reality. This story intrigues me in another way because figs in the Bible were important to Israel. That is the national symbol of the nation of Israel where one state might have a magnolia tree as its, 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 its uh, national state or, or national tree and, and, and its flowers as, as its state flower, I should say. Uh, the nation of Israel has for centuries embraced the fig leaf and the symbol of the fig tree as a symbol of its existence. You go to Israel, many of the government buildings have over the arcway the entry into a building or on the side or even on the cornerstone and a carved emblem of a fig leaf. It is the fig leaf that comes from the fig tree uh, that is chosen to be used by Israel as its, as its representation of who it is. And there are reasons for that that I won't go into. 
And when God is speaking to Israel, showing Jeremiah a basket of figs, one ripe, the other ruined because they are overly ripe, he is showing Israel two different things. The basket of ripe figs is a promise. The basket of overly ripe figs that is ruined is a problem. Now, if you're hungry and that's what all you have to eat, that's a problem. I used to particularly love figs when I was a kid, and I still do. You just can't get them as I could when I was a kid. And I, I didn't like having to go out and harvest them because there was something about the sap, the milk and the figs that, that would cause me to, it was acetic. It would, it would take skin right off of uh, my arms reaching up among those leaves. But boy, there was nothing better than fig preserves. Amen. I mean, with homemade biscuits and some homemade butter and some fig preserves, I'm telling you. My wife just went to uh, Louisiana over the holidays, and she stopped at a little place along Inter Interstate 10, just off Interstate 10 in Sulphur, and there's a place there that sells fig syrup, and it's a syrup that fig preserves are cooked in, and I always have her bring me back some. And you have never in your life had anything better than Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream with fig syrup poured over the top of it. Now, you see, I know all this stuff. There's some things I don't know, but when it comes to good food, I can carry on a conversation. Amen. I know what I'm talking about. Figs were the national emblem of the nation of Israel. And God is showing Jeremiah a problem and a promise. There are a lot of nuances and a lot of meanings in those two things. The spoiled figs referred to some of the decisions made by Israel's national leaders and the consequences that they would now reap. But for the rest of the nation that was seeking after God and uh, had been caught up and carried away into Babylon, that basket of ripe figs promoted promise. It signified that God was going to fulfill those verses in Jeremiah about planting them in their land, being their God, giving them a heart to know God, never letting them be plucked up again. All of these things, that's what that basket of ripe figs represented. So you have in the same vision a, the promise and you have the problem. Here is where I'm coming from with this. For you to be able to see your dream become a reality, you're going to have to ask yourself is if what's in front of you is a problem or a promise. Most people have trained themselves to see problems. Help me out now. 95% of people see problems. Only 5% of people can look at the same thing and see a promise. That's a fact. Everybody looks at the circumstance, and because problems have something called pain in them, most people get hung up by pain. And so they fail to realize that your dream comes disguised as a problem, and as soon as a little pain develops, wham, they slam on the brakes. God can't be in this. God, where did you go? What did I do to deserve this? And here it goes. And they don't realize that oftentimes that problem they've got is actually their, pro their, their dream in disguise. Amen. 
The ones who can see through the disguise are the ones who end up creating inventions to solve the problem, building housing developments to solve the problem of housing. They, they are the ones who make money, build businesses, establish ministries, are, and, and, and launch new products or services that solve that problem, while the others who do not see that it's really their dream in disguise, they just struggle to deal with it, address the pain every day, and just put up with it. There's always three things in every problem you will ever encounter. Let me share with you what I've learned in my life. There's always the pain of the problem, and then inherent within the problem itself are two other things. There's the potential within the problem, and there's the promise that comes in the problem. Amen. Most people see only the pain. They never get to the next two. And if you are going to be able to build the dream of your life this year, you need to be able to make some adjustments and fine-tune your perception of what's going on around you. And you're going to have to train yourself to stop looking at the pain and start looking at the potential and the promise. Amen. Amen. And here is what I want you to understand. You are always right regardless of which one you see. Your perception is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If all you see is pain, that's all you're ever going to have. But if you can train yourself to see potential instead of pain and to see promise, guess what's coming down the road for you? Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah here this morning. Amen. There's always some pain to be felt. I think of that story where Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that went out and found a treasure in a field. And then because the treasure was so precious, he went home and sold everything he had that he could buy the field to get the treasure. The treasure is only a small part but the field is very large. And in that field, you may have some rocks and some stones. You may have a little swampy area where you're never going to be able to do much with it at all because it's too low. And you may be able, and you may have some problems with a lot of it, but most people, unfortunately, get to looking at those things so much they forget about the treasure that's there also. And what God wants us to do is to train ourselves to stop looking at the pain and the problem and start looking at the treasure that's in the middle of the problem. Oh, somebody in the building say hallelujah. Because your perception of the problem determines what the payoff in the problem is going to be. If your perception is treasure, that's what you're going to get. If your perception is pain, guess what? That's what you're going to get out of it as well. Amen. Some people have the ability to look at the very same thing and see potential and promise. Where we're complaining. For example, if you will look at life, nearly everything we have in our lives that we enjoy that makes life comfortable and easy at one time was a problem. Transportation used to be a problem. Oh, yeah. Used to be a big problem. Amen. The average American didn't travel 150 years ago more than 50 miles from the place 
He was born and raised because transportation was a problem. But somebody named Henry Ford came along and saw potential where somebody else saw pain in traveling. He saw promise where somebody else only could see trouble. And he developed the automobile. Somebody else looked up and saw a bird flying. And they saw potential where somebody else saw the problem of men's inability to fly. And the Wright brothers created an entire industry based upon their ability to see promise where somebody else could only see trouble. Amen. And I look at Houston, our city, the one now arguably the third largest city in the, in the United States of America. You are aware that we have in our city a medical center that is a city within a city. I was there last night, and we have approximately one million people in the medical center. It has become one of the financial supports or the pillars of financial support for the city of Houston. Regardless of what oil does, there's always going to be the med center. Amen. Amen. And people are always going to get sick and always need help. You know what happened? Somebody saw a problem and saw potential in the problem. Mm -hmm. Amen. Somebody saw the problem and said, I'm going to build a pharmacy. Somebody else saw the problem and said, I'm going to build a hospital. You hear what I'm saying? Somebody else saw a problem and said, I'm going to go to school and learn how to become able to help somebody with that problem. And they became a doctor and they became a nurse. You see, where somebody else sees pain, someone else sees opportunity. And I want to ask you, like God asked Jeremiah and Amos, what do you see with your life? What do you see that you're going through right now? Father, not only is there in every problem both potential and a promise, problems are actually layered with potential and promise. Oh, yes, they are. Many people only dig through to the first layer. Alexander Graham Bell was aware of the problem with communication. How can you communicate with somebody that's not within shouting distance or in the same room with you or across the street? Now, uh, maybe, maybe some people can, can shout louder than others, but all of us, if we're trying to reach somebody that is out of sight, are going to have difficulty communicating with that person if we had lived in that day especially. But Alexander Graham Bale said, I think there's potential in that problem. I think there's a promise in that problem, and he created the world's first telephone. Amen. Somebody else saw another layer, because the problem with the telephone is you had to be tethered to a landline. And somebody else said, I think I can build one of these where you don't have to stay connected to a landline. You can take it with you in your pocket or your purse. And they created a mobile phone. Does anybody remember what the early mobile phones used to look like? They were these huge monstrosities of bricks. Amen. You had to carry around. You remember you even carried your own separate charging bag, and it was a big old thing. You're walking around with one arm longer than the other to be able to communicate. There was a guy in the church here. When they first came out, he got one, and he was an entrepreneur, a businessman. He always needed to be in touch with people, and, man, he'd get up and run out of the church, and he'd have his big brick up alongside his ear while he was going, and and, and we used to laugh at him, but he was serious about this stuff. And, and nowadays, nobody, 
Nobody uses landlines hardly ever anymore. I, mean, I don't even have one in my house. And most people, that's a thing of the past because we carry our phone with us a different layer of opportunity. Alexander Graham Bell saw the landline. Somebody else saw the mobile phone. And are you ready for this? They're coming out with a device that you'll wear on your wrist that when you do your hand like this will shine on the palm of your hand and give you a keypad on the palm of your hand. And you just tap the buttons and make a call and your hand is the phone. That's what they're coming out with. They already have prototypes that are designed and are being worked with right now. What do you see? Do you see a problem or do you see an opportunity in the middle of all of that? Most people train themselves because of the pain to avoid problems when you ought to embrace the problem that God is allowing to come your way because that problem is going to be used by God to elevate your life to the next level. Amen. I think of the problem of energy that all of us are very familiar with. There's a problem, and that problem, you, f you figure out that problem every time you go to fill up your car. You know what that problem is, the pain, ouch. And the good news is the price of gasoline is dropping. And the bad news is there's an ulterior motive in somebody's mind that is making it drop. You know what happened? It cost $65 a barrel to be able to develop oil from shale rock, S-H-A-L-E. And America got sick of being held hostage over an oil barrel by all those people in the Middle East. And they said, we're going to use fracking and, and whatever. And I don't even want to get into that. Whether you're for it or get it, I don't care. Amen. That's not the issue. All I know is somebody was making some decisions. We're not going to continue to give all our money away to the Middle East. And and so, you know what happened? The Saudis, our dear friends, our, our wonderful friends, they said, we're going to glut the market, drive the price down, and poor old Americans are not smart enough to figure out what we're really doing is putting all of these secondary oil industries out of business. And once we get them out of business, we'll jack it back up again. Amen. Trust me, that's what they're really working on. You even have some folk that are so Machiavellian in their thought, they're looking for nuances of, of, uh, uh, that I think are just uh, almost incredible. The president of Venezuela, for example, who is a, one of the larger oil-producing countries Venezuela is, he says the U.S. is really behind all of it. Mm, amen. That what we're doing is we convince the Saudis to drop the price of oil so we could drive Russia out of business and Venezuela out of business too. Uh, yeah, I couldn't think of anybody better. I, I couldn't really think of anybody any better that it could happen to if that is the outcome. But, but just, I, I'm sorry, my politics are showing up right now. Forgive me in Jesus' name, Hail Mary, Mother God, and all that. You know, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is simply this: Look, somebody's going to figure something out before it's all over with. And I read the other day that have you heard of cold fusion? C O L D fusion. 
most nuclear uh, fission occurs with tremendous heat, and because of that, it's unsafe. It's unstable. It can be used by terrorists to hurt us. They have The holy grail of energy has been to try to develop what they call cold fusion. They claim that they now have done it, and it has been independently verified scientifically by several different scientific groups. It's appearing in scientific journals. If that is the case, they're projecting you'll have a little old thing about this big that will power your house for as long as you live. Amen. And then we're going to be able to say, see you, wouldn't want to be you to all those people over there in the Middle East that have taken our money all of these years. Amen. Somebody's going to see in the problem a promise is what I'm saying. The rest of us are going to sit and gripe every time we feel the pain at the gas pump. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that your future can be determined if you can train yourself to start looking for the promise and the potential that is in the middle of your problem. Amen. Somebody's going to make some serious money. Somebody's going to build a great ministry. Do you realize that's what ministry is? It's finding a solution and seeing the potential and the problem of lost humanity. You've got to see promise where everybody else is seeing nothing but pain. Amen. I've talked to you now about the potential and the promise that's in the problem and your perception is what's going to determine the payoff at the end of the problem. For you to be able to have the kind of payoff you want, which is the fulfillment of the life you've always lived, you want your dream to come to pass and live the life you've always wanted to live, you need to learn how to go through the process of walking a problem out. Amen. Don't run from them, rather embrace them. I got real quiet right then. Amen. A holy hush descended on the house of God. The spirit moved in. No, somebody said, I don't like that at all. What do you mean embrace my problem? That's exactly what you got to do. The message of the Bible is God always takes the bad, reverts it, converts it, inverts it, turns it every which way but loose, and by the time he's through with processing it, it's the best thing that ever happened in your life. That's the way God works. Amen. Amen. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purposes. When you look into the Bible, you will find that the Bible is filled with examples of people who, when they encountered the problem, saw the promise and the potential rather than just the pain. Amen. And that's meant to inspire you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. And if you can train yourself to walk through the process of the problem by changing your perception and seeing the promise and potential rather than the pain, guess what? You get to receive the prize that's at the end of the problem. Amen. Pharaoh saw the problem of the dream that troubled him. 
So did his advisors. They were troubled by the dream. Joseph saw the, pro- the promise in the, in, in the problem. All Pharaoh's wise men and Pharaoh could see were the seven good years being turned into seven bad years. In other words, things are going from good to worse. Things are going to get worse. How many people do you know that is their outlook on life? They're expecting tomorrow not to be quite as good as it is today. That was exactly Pharaoh's problem. Joseph pops up and says, I have a different perspective if you don't mind. You call it a problem, I call it a promise. Amen. You're talking about pain. I'm talking about potential. And he gives to Pharaoh an understanding of the dream and a strategy to help him convert that dream into a promise rather than a problem. Most people in Joseph's shoes would have seen only the problem of being betrayed by their own brothers. When Joseph saw his brothers in Egypt, they were terrified. When he revealed himself to them, they knew he was going to kill them. All they could see was a problem. And Joseph said, hey guys, I got a different outlook. You may have forgotten who I am all these years I've been gone, but that's been the difference in me and you all along. While you're seeing problems, I'm seeing opportunity. I had a dream while the rest of you were having nightmares. You could see nothing but pain. I was seeing opportunity. And you didn't like it and you sold me into slavery. You meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm telling you, your promise comes disguised as a problem. I want to ask you again, what do you see in 2015? What do you see? What's going to happen? I look into the Word of God, and I see 12 spies that all were looking at the same scenario. All 12 of them saw the giants. All 12 of them saw the problem. All 12 of them saw the walled cities that were heavily fortified and well defended. All of them saw the armies that lived in those cities that were well trained, well capable of handling an invading force. All of them saw the problem and all 12 of them came back. But what happened is 10 of them, that was all they saw. Two of them saw the potential within the problem and they said, yeah, there are giants there. There are walled cities there, but Caleb and Joshua, the Bible said, had a different spirit. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Have you allowed the negativity of this world to get a hold of you? I'm talking about at the beginning of the year 2015, letting God do a diagnostic checkup from the neck up, if you will, and change the way you think and look at problems and let you see the potential and the promise that is in every problem you're facing. That problem you're cursing and making and praying, God, take it away, is the very means he's going to use to elevate you. That problem that you're complaining about is your miracle in disguise that's knocking at your door. God's got an answer to it. God's got a a, a solution for it. Amen. And so 10 of the spies said in Numbers 13 and 33, there in the promised land, We didn't see a promise. We saw giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So were we in their sight. All they saw was the problem. There's pain if we enter that 
promised land. You go that route, you're going to hurt, baby, I can tell you. And two of them said, no, don't look at the pain, look at the promise. But Israel made the mistake of listening to those who could see nothing but a problem. Don't you let people talk you out of your destiny. Don't you let anybody keep you from entering your promised land. You got all kind of folk that'll tell you how hard it is and how you can't and no matter how hard you try and you'd do better up to just better off to just let it go. And they'll tell you why it's not going to work out. What you need to do is say, uh-uh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Amen. You need to stop that kind of talk. Look yourself in the eye in the mirror when you get home and say, We are well able to take the land because that problem is really my miracle wearing a disguise. I look at Saul and Israel and David. All three of them saw the promise of the giant or the problem of the giant. All three of them could see. Israel, all three entities could see. That guy's big. He's bad. I mean, bad to the bone kind of bad. You know what? If I can quote George Thorogood for just a moment, that great philosopher. But, I mean, look at Goliath out there pounding on his chest like some simian ape saying, send me your greatest warrior and we'll fight and I'll rip him to pieces and and Saul is cowering in his tent because all he can see is the problem. Israel is terrified. All they can see is the problem. But every once in a while somebody comes along that sees the promise instead of the problem. All they could see was the pain. And a 16-year-old boy walked out on the battlefield and said, you come against me with sword and shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. I'm serving a God who knows how to turn problems into promises. And I realize that, oh, Lord, do I feel it working right now. I realize that my miracle is actually disguised as a giant standing out there in the valley right now. I'm talking to somebody. Your miracle is the giant you're facing right now. And you're like Saul hiding in your tent. What do you see? It's all a matter of perception. Amen. I look at the man in Luke chapter 19 that the scripture tells us was given one talent. His two compatriots, one of them was given five, the other was given two talents. And all three of them saw the same problem. They had a master that was austere, that expected a return. Austere means severe. He was just, he was matter of fact. I mean, he told it like it was. And he expected a return on his investment. And one guy saw in that only a problem. All three of them saw the problem, but that was all one guy saw. And he said, I'm going to hide my talent, put it in his napkin, wrapped it up in a bit of cloth, buried it in the ground, and said, when the master comes, I'll go dig it up and give it to him because I don't want to face the pain that I know I'm going to face if I've lost anything. But two others saw promise and potential where he could only see pain. What do you see in this year of 2015? I need somebody to say, I may have a problem or two in my life, but I've got a feeling that problem is getting ready to be processed. Amen. That problem is getting ready to be turned around. I serve a God that's able to make the worst day of my life be the best day of my life before the sun goes down. Amen. For if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. 
Am I talking to somebody right now? Am I talking to somebody that's facing some bad news? Don't you distress? Don't you fear? You need to throw your hands up and rejoice because that's what James said. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations and you're tempted to want to give up. What you need to do is say, thank God I must be on the verge of a miracle happening in my life right now. And I'm done. Ezekiel saw the problem in the valley. A valley of dry bones. A problem. Pain. That's a lot of hurt. All those dead bodies stretched everywhere. A lot of trouble. And God asked him, what do you see? Oh, he didn't ask him in those words. He just asked him, can these bones live? What are you seeing when you look at this situation, Ezekiel? And that's what God is asking every one of us. What... What do you see when you look at your life? When you look at your job, you see some people are going to see a job playing out and say, pain, oh God. You know what somebody else is going to see? Somebody else is going to see that and say, there's my golden opportunity. I've been waiting for this. Amen. Somebody's going to see potential where somebody else sees a problem. Which one are you focused on? Amen. And I'm done. But I will say this before I conclude. What on earth is heaven if it's not the prize at the end of the problem anyway? Mm -hmm. God's always set things up where your problem turns into your prize. And if you can just hold on and your perception never changes. <laughs> oh, yeah, there were streets flooded in Houston this morning. But the streets we're going to walk on someday are going to be made of pure gold. That's because we kept our perception. Others look at this life and see nothing but trouble, nothing but a problem. And for them, that's all they're ever going to get. And so which one are we focused on, the pain and the problem or the potential and the promise? I'm done. Life application points. A good question for you to ask yourself is how do you approach the challenges in life? Whether that's in your family, whether that's in your business, your finances, whether that's in your health. Because you see, even health, Problems can turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. I know some folk that were lost without God and on their way to eternity without Christ until a problem showed up in their health. And they faced something that they couldn't get around. And you know what it did? They couldn't get through it. They couldn't get over it. So they fell to their knees and God brought them out of it. Amen. Oh, yeah. It may be the best thing that ever, that ever happened because it turned them back to God or helped them find God. That's what's going to determine your payoff this year. And so what is faith? According to Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And you know what? It's after he says that that he gives us this long list of names who encountered nothing but problems. Faith is the ability to see potential and promise when everybody else is seeing nothing but pain. And I, wanna, I want you to know as we leave, faith is always rewarded.